Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So we are officially in the second half of our year with Jesus in 2023. We're focusing solely uh, on the life and the teachings of Jesus. And um, I am so encouraged by doing this. It's been so good uh, for me personally um, to kind of push aside some of the other distractions and just focus on what Jesus said and did in the Gospels. And right now we're, we're walking through the Gospel of John through the summer. We're going to finish this up. Uh, I, I have had a couple people ask when it's going to be over, which is not a good sign, but I'm going to just go with it. Uh, it's, we're going to be done with the Gospel of John at the end of August, so all the way through the summer. Um, but today we'll be in John 6, and um, we're going to have a conversation about a lot of stuff. It, it's, it's these interconnected ideas in John chapter 6 around scarcity and abundance and deservedness and enoughness and personal responsibility and grace and provision. It's just all of these ideas wrapped up in one uh, really popular story. And uh, just as a note, this is why I love the Bible, because all of these ideas can be held in one simple story. Uh, the ancient Jews had this phrase for reading the Bible, and they talked about it um, like turning a, a gemstone. That when you hold a gem, and every time you turn it, the light hits it a little different, and you see it differently, and the light refracts out of it a little differently. And when you hold the Bible, you should just keep turning it. Just turn the gem. That was the phrase. Turn the gem. Because every time you turn it, you're going to see something new and beautiful and good and true. And so for me, this passage today is a turn the gem kind of passage. Because I know this story. Uh, I've heard it for, I don't know, 25 years. But I'm still just trying to turn the gem. Just find something new and beautiful and good in it. So we're in John chapter 6 today. Um, Jesus has been teaching and performing uh, these miracles and he is shirking religious custom, and he is collecting a massive group of followers, and he's collecting a lot of criticism uh, and really some, some actual uh, enemies, right? There, there are crowds, and there are also closed-door meetings about how to get Jesus arrested and killed. Um, so things are they're just escalating. There's momentum, and it's escalating. And we get to John chapter 6, and Jesus performs one of his more prolific miracles, and this is what happens. This is a long passage, so just stay with me. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. And distribute... Uh, Sorry, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. 
Okay, long passage. It was even too much for me to read out loud to you. So it was probably too much for you to hear. But you know this this story is as I'm guessing, right? It's a, it's a beautiful story. It appears in three of the gospel accounts, and my guess is that you know it. But there's a crowd following Jesus because he's been doing these uh, miracles, and Jesus wants to feed the crowd. And the only real idea comes from Andrew, who suggests using a child's lunch to feed everyone, which seems like a bad idea. If you just if you just read the story, you would think this guy is not a very smart guy. But Andrew has just seen Jesus do miracles, like turning water into wine or healing the sick. And so you can kind of feel Andrew, if you've read John up to this point, you can kind of feel Andrew almost daring Jesus, like, uh, well, Jesus, there is like three loaves of bread. You could try that. Like, it's a little bit of a dare to see if Jesus will actually do what Jesus has been doing. And then Jesus performs this incredible miracle, right? There's food for everyone and there's leftovers. And Jesus once again displays his divine nature. And there is abundance, right? There's plenty. There is enough. And it's amazing and it's miraculous. And this simple idea that God can take not enoughness and make abundance, that's an important idea, right? Jesus comes to give life abundant, overflowing, That is beautiful and important and good and true. But there's this kind of subtext here that I don't want us to miss. I think um, we'll be able to trust that abundance a little bit more if we can get to the subtext. So what I'm seeing as we turn the gym, right, just just trying to turn it and see it just a a little differently, a little more, a, a uh, a, a little bit different than maybe we've read before, something below the surface. So as I turn the gym, what I see is that Jesus is challenging our typical deservedness framework. Because we like to use uh, categories of deserving and not deserving. Deserving and undeserving. And it's just important to note here that in this story where Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus hadn't invited these people over for a meal. They shouldn't have been expecting to get fed. Right? It's not like the disciples were supposed to line up catering and then they forgot and Jesus kind of covers for them and does this miracle. Right? This crowd follows Jesus and they hadn't made any plans for food. It was just like, oops, I guess we didn't eat. They didn't think it through. They were unprepared. The crowd made a bad choice by not eating. Right? They, they showed up unprepared. They weren't willing to detour to get fed. But there was no consideration from Jesus or the disciples about whether this crowd deserved to receive a meal. They didn't have a conversation about like, well, they had plenty of time to bring food. Or if they knew they were going to be out in the countryside all day, don't you think they should have packed a lunch? There was none of that. And Jesus is challenging our typical deservedness framework. And we use this kind of equation or formula to determine who or what is deserving or undeserving. We do it all the time. We use a little equation, right? It might be something like time spent plus right action equals deservedness. If you spend a lot of time on something, you make good choices, then you deserve. Or you could just swap out those words to be like preparation. If you're prepared, if you thought it through. And you have good personal ethics. In other words, uh, I agree with your personal ethics. Then you're deserving. right? If you take out time, we don't like that. We don't like when people get successful really fast. Even if they, if they um, align with our personal ethics, uh, if they reach success too quickly, we think, oh, they probably don't deserve that. Or if, um, or if people grind and grind and grind and work really hard, but they have a different personal eth- ethic than we do. 
we say, oh, I don't think that I don't think they deserve that success. It's deserving, undeserving, right? We use it all the time. We use it, uh, it, it with the people in front of us in a long line at wherever we are to get food or at the bank. We think, oh my gosh, they're not prepared. They got to the front. They're not prepared. They don't deserve this. Uh, the people we see online, right? We don't agree with their personal ethics. They don't deserve this. It's deserving and undes undeserving. But in this story, Jesus isn't working on a deservedness framework, right? There's not a conversation about, well, they did have an option to be more prepared or they, they could have thought it through or, or man, this is, a, this is a really irresponsible group of people. I'm not sure we should reward a lack of personal responsibility. It's none of that. Jesus is working on a belovedness framework. And Jesus uses the abundance of the food, that there's leftovers as kind of this exclamation point on this idea because scarcity and deservedness work on the same zero-sum equation, as if there's never enough, as if someone might be getting what belongs to you, if someone, that, that if someone gets more, then you might get less, as if there's not infinite love and attention and grace and resources available to you. Right? We live inside a world of scarcity, or at least our brain tells us it is, with this framework of deserving and undeserving. And we walk around and we claim things, deserving, undeserving, deserving, undeserving. We claim whole countries, deserving, undeserving, whole groups of people, deserving or undeserving. But we're called instead to just look out and see beloved, beloved, beloved. Right? It's our fear that says, do the math and figure out who deserves what. But divine love says, call it all Beloved, there's plenty. There's going to be leftovers. This isn't zero sum. And for many, if not most, uh, our religion is built on a deservedness framework. Right? We think the God of the universe is using the same framework to say, you deserve, you don't deserve. We've even defined grace, the grace of God, as receiving a gift that we don't deserve. But what if it's just a gift that has nothing to do with our deservedness, right? We attach our own unworthiness. We project our own insecurity onto God, right? If you receive a gift and the card reads, you didn't really deserve this, it's not a very good gift. And we've been taught to think of ourselves as primarily undeserving of love. And in fact, I have heard and I've even said at different points of my life that we all deserve to burn in hell. We think God is looking out at humanity and saying, undeserving, 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 undeserving. But all God is saying is, beloved, 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 beloved. Right? This is the kingdom of God. In other words, there is no equation. There is no scarcity because there is no accounting department. No deservedness because no one is keeping score. It's only belovedness. I wonder if you've ever held a newborn baby, all squishy and wrapped in a little burrito. They're like hairy in weird ways and they all kind of look like aliens, but also they're perfect. And no one ever holds a newborn baby and says, honestly, I think you're a little lazy. I don't know if you've worked hard enough to deserve all this that's been given to you. You don't do that because you just know intuitively that with children, you don't claim them deserving or undeserving. You just call them beloved. And I think that's maybe why Jesus says that we should have faith like a child. Or why in 1 John it says that we should all be called children of God. Because for children, like we are, we're just beloved. We're not deserving or undeserving. There's no equation. There's no scarcity. There's no accounting. There's always enough. And so for you, do you use a deservedness framework? Do you judge how deserving you are for things? Like, oh, I don't deserve that. Do you look out at the world and do that? 
Maybe there's a person or group of people that you deem deserving or undeserving. You know, sometimes we do this as a way to not have to deal with the problems in front of us. Like with um, the thousands and thousands of folks who are incarcerated at Harris County Jail, we just go, well, they must deserve it. And then we just sweep it aside. When we see the working poor, when we see the unhoused, we go, for some reason they must deserve it. Maybe it's a lack of personal responsibility, bad choices. Maybe that works in to that deservedness equation. And we say, oh, they must deserve whatever situation they're in, and we just push it to the side. And I wonder if this is how you think of God. Then Maybe you've used deserving or undeserving as categories that you imagine God to be using for you. That you think God has deemed the world deserving or undeserving. And for you, how, how could you move from deservedness to belovedness? You know, it starts, most of this work often starts uh, with just noticing, right? You just notice every time you take account of someone else that you say, oh man, that was a bad choice. They deserve what they got. Just, just notice. Notice for yourself. When you say, I haven't worked hard enough. All that imposter syndrome that you have, that's a deservedness framework. Or maybe you need to lower the need for personal responsibility in your life. This is a good American ideal, personal responsibility, but it keeps us from asking for help and it keeps us from giving help. In other words, it keeps us in isolation because we think we should have this figured out on our own and we think other people should too. Right? Just take away that personal responsibility ethic for just a little while in your life and say, what if everyone is just beloved and just care for the people in front of you? That you deserve care and help and that when you need it, you should ask for it. And there's other people who deserve care and help because they are beloved. So just notice this week, when you start doing the math. And then every time you get a chance, ask for help. Because personal responsibility doesn't have to be your primary ethic. You don't live in isolation. And then be willing to give that same love and care to other people. But Jesus is telling us with this amazing miracle that for God, there is not deserving or undeserving. There is not a debate about how much you should give to someone based on their personal responsibility, how much time they've spent or their right choices. There is just abundance and plenty because we are all called beloved. You know, at, at different points in my spiritual journey, I have found different kind of individual words or phrases to mark kind of my, really where I am theologically, right? So right when Gather started, my word that I just couldn't get off of was everybody. Right? The church is for everybody, everybody, all, everyone, everybody. And I just said it all the time. It was really my, it was like my one word prayer that, Everybody, everybody, everybody. And then after that, my word, uh, this was probably COVID. My word was just beloved. Beloved. The whole point is to embrace our belovedness. And you heard it from me today. Beloved, beloved, beloved. And that's for everybody. And I've used these words as uh, prayers and almost mantras, one word liturgies. They're an invitation for me. And right now, my one word that I just can't get out of my head is already, already. It's right here in John chapter six, it says that Jesus already knew what he was gonna do for the crowd when he saw them. Already. You are already beloved. You already have everything you need, already. And already is for everybody. Already, there is already enough. You are already accepted. It might be a friend who helps or a God who multiplies, but abundance already exists in your life. Already. There's nothing you need to do 
There's nothing you have to earn. There's not an amount of time you have to grind. It is already there for you. If you need love, it is already being offered. If you are lonely, there is already a friend waiting for you. If you are hungry, hurting, tired, or afraid, there is already fullness and healing and rest and comfort waiting for you already. Everybody already, beloved, no equation necessary because you have already been called beloved, already been invited, already included, already accepted. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. May you rest in the already. Stop working for a cosmic reward that has already been offered. Accept your acceptance and be free. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.